History tells the story of the world and of our lives. Sometimes that history goes bump in the night. Broadcasting from the center of oddity and the supernatural in Central Florida, it's the History Goes Bump podcast. Hello, you spectacular people. Welcome to this 377th episode of the History Ghost Bump podcast, Ghost Tours for the Theater of the Mind. I am your host, Diane. And this is Kelly. On this episode, Kelly, we have an event, a haunted event. This was suggested by our listener, Kimmy Page, and she also had an experience that is related to this to share, too. And that's the Eastland disaster. Have you heard about this? I have. Yeah, when I was in Chicago a few years ago, it was one of the first times I'd heard about this. And even though some people haven't heard about it or don't know that much about it, it actually was as tragic, if not more, than the Titanic itself. Indeed. Before we get into talking about those events and the hauntings in relation to that, we want to welcome into the Spooktacular crew, Mickey, but not of the mouse variety. Aww. Kimberly, Michael, Marco, Sam, Jenna, Kirsty, Josh, Jamie, Blake, Mike, Arthur, Karina, Louise, Paulo, Nora, Kim, Amanda, Suzette, Jimmy, and we had two Sarahs with H's, Sarah F and Sarah L. Welcome to the Spectacular Crew, you guys. And now, this moment, Naughty. The moment in Oddity was suggested by Scott Booker. Summer has made lemonade a very popular beverage. It's quite simple. A little sugar, some water, and fresh squeezed lemon juice. Lemonade was enjoyed as far back as the 17th century and grew in more popularity in the 19th century. At this same time, pink lemonade came onto the scene. An article in an 1879 issue of West Virginia's Wheeling Register was one of the earliest mentions of pink lemonade, and it was something created by traveling circuses. There are a couple of narratives about how pink lemonade was invented. Henry E. Alcott had run away with the circus when he was a teenager. He was working the lemonade stand and enjoying some cinnamon candies dyed red, and he accidentally dropped a bunch into the vat of lemonade. There was no time to make a new batch, so he served the lemonade that was now pink. That sounds pretty good, but the other story is just gross. Supposedly, a circus performer had washed her pink tights in some water, and a man named Pete Coughlin grabbed that water because he needed to make a batch of lemonade. The lemonade had a pink hue because of the tights. Today, pink lemonade is sometimes made with strawberries or red raspberry or grenadine or watermelon or cranberry juice. But generally, pink lemonade is just like regular lemonade, only with a pink hue. We love that pink lemonade is connected to the circus, but its origin certainly is odd. And here's another unique podcast I'd love you to check out. Ghosts. UFOs. Cryptids. All the things that go bump in the night. 
Join John and Becca as they explore the world of the paranormal on Boo, My Dad Says. Check us out every Wednesday on your favorite podcast provider for a little bit of history, a little bit of mystery, and a whole lot of weird. And now, This Month in History. month of March, on the 6th in 1475, artist Michelangelo was born. Born Michelangelo di Lodovico Buonarroti Simoni in Caprice, Italy, he was often referred to as the Divine One. Michelangelo got his first apprenticeship at the age of 13. By the following year, he was being paid as an artist. He would paint and sculpt, but also wrote poetry and became an architect. He was the quintessential Renaissance man, and many of his works are the most famous in the world. The Pieta and David are two of them, and both were completed before he was 30 years old. I didn't realize until I saw the original David in Italy that the statue features David right before he kills the giant Goliath. You can see the rock in one of his hands and the sling over his shoulder. And if you look closely, there's a vein sticking out in his neck as though he is stressed and his eyes are intense. One of the greatest frescoes is his work that appears on the Sistine Chapel, all of which he painted while lying down on his back. Major parts of St. Peter's Basilica were designed by Michelangelo in his 70s. He lived to be 88, dying in 1564 in Rome. He was buried in Florence at the Basilica of Santa Croce. The Eastland disaster was the most deadly shipwreck in Great Lakes history. More passengers would die in this disaster than in the sinking of the Titanic. This was supposed to be a fun excursion to the grounds of a company picnic. The annual employee appreciation event had become a much-anticipated break from the six-day work weeks that the lower-middle-class employees endured. On this fateful day in 1915, hundreds would die, including whole families, and leave a mark forever on Chicago. Locations that house the dead until they could be identified are still haunted by the tragic event, both figuratively and literally. Join us as we explore the history and hauntings of the Eastland disaster. The SS Eastland was nicknamed the Speed Queen of the Great Lakes. The ship had been commissioned by the Michigan Steamship Company in 1902 and was built by the Jenks Shipbuilding Company of Port Huron, Michigan. That speed that her nickname indicated was not an original part of her makeup. The steamer was actually top-heavy with no keel, and the ballast tanks were poorly designed. The steamer would later be outfitted to run faster, but these additions would cause issues with her stability. Metacentric height is the distance between fully upright and the point at which a ship will capsize. Or possibly we could use this in regards to you as well, Kelly. If you go a little bit over a certain (laughs) degree, you're going to go down. (laughs) 
Thanks. <laughs> Although I really can't say that about you this week because I was the one who hit the pavement this week. This is true. <laughs> oh, it sucks when you're older, too, and you hit that cement. Doesn't feel so good. Yeah. Well, I always tell you, keep your eyes on the ground when you're out for a run. <laughs> It was said of the Eastland that fully loaded, it would need a metacentric height of two to four feet. So again, that's two to four feet. It could tip either way before it's going to go over. With the changes made to make it faster, its metacentric height had been reduced to four inches, Kelly. That's absolutely insane. I mean, <laughs> any little list or wave or anything and it would just go down. I know. The ship was in danger of capsizing, just a little rocking. <laughs> so dangerous. In 1904, the Eastland had her first issue with nearly capsizing. The steamship company lowered the capacity limits and did away with some cabins in response. The ship would continue to list through the years when cargo was being loaded. The steamer was sold four times before 1914 and ended up on Lake Michigan. The weather was cool and damp on the morning of July 24, 1915, when the excursion steamer Eastland was loading up for a trip across Lake Michigan. Captain Harry Peterson was at the helm. Within minutes, she would have 2,573 passengers and crew on the steamer. The atmosphere aboard the steamer was festive. A band played in the main cabin while passengers leaned against the railings to wave goodbye to friends. Everyone was dressed in their Sunday best with the women sporting wide-brimmed hats, long dresses, corsets, stockings, and fancy boots. Employees of the Western Electric Company's Hawthorne Works were being shuttled from downtown Chicago to Washington Park in Michigan City, Indiana. That was 38 miles across the lake for a grand picnic. There were five vessels in total that had been chartered by the company to carry some 7,000 people. This was not a cheap treat for employees who paid $1 per ticket when the best-paid people in the plant made $17 a week. A light drizzle chased many of the women and children below deck. Surely they had to have noticed that the ship was beginning to list from side to side after boarding was complete. Some may have thought it was a little bit of an issue, but most ignored the danger, including the captain. The ship was only carrying 53 more passengers than it was built for, but there may have been another issue no one had considered, and ironically, it was a safety measure. After the Titanic sank, it became important to make sure that there was room for all passengers on lifeboats. This made sense on transcontinental ships, but for a ship sailing on the Great Lakes, it was overkill. The added weight of the lifeboats became problematic. The Eastland listed to one side, and then the other. The sway grew deeper. The open gangway soon had water pouring in, and the engine room was flooded. The crew from the engine room ran for the main deck, realizing that the steamer was taking on too much water. Within five minutes, the Eastland listed to a 45-degree angle. And in our show notes, I have a little video on there that shows a model of what happened when you're watching it list back and forth and just how little of a degree it needed to go before it was like over on its side. was enough that objects inside the boat started shifting drastically. A refrigerator slid across the steamer and pinned a woman. The piano on the promenade deck rolled and crushed two women. Two minutes after the 45-degree list, the Eastland capsized. The time was 7.30 a.m., and the steamer was still tied to the dock, but now lying on its side in 20 feet of water. No life-saving equipment could be launched. Some of the passengers were able to climb over the starboard railing and walk across the hull to safety, but many more were in trouble of drowning. 
and imagine being on a dance floor and being rocked violently to one side and then rolled over. Many people would be severely injured just from that action, much less the fact that water was rushing into the steamer. The Eastland's captain, Harry Peterson, was one of the lucky people who just walked across the hull. So who would have ever imagined you've got a ship that's just sitting there right at the dock, tipping over, and it was only 20 feet of water, so there wasn't that much water there, but everybody knows once you get water inside of a ship, it's kind of like a suction thing, and it's just going to suck people in and make it hard for them to get out, especially since a lot of them were overboard. But every time I was reading about the ship tipping over and thinking about what happens to people who are just standing there, I think about watching the movie Titanic and the ship going to the side and people just sliding right down the ship. Yeah, exactly. Harlan Babcock wrote in the Chicago Herald, In an instant, the surface of the river was black with struggling, crying, frightened, drowning humanity. We infants floated about like corks. The good people of Chicago went into action. Some onlookers jumped into the water to try to save the drowning. Helen Reppa was a Western electric nurse who had her ticket for the picnic and was riding the trolley to the dock when she heard the screams. She ran off the trolley when it stopped and hopped into the back of an ambulance to get to the scene quicker. She said, I shall never be able to forget what I saw. People were struggling in the water, clustered so thickly that they literally covered the surface of the river. A few were swimming, the rest were floundering about, some clinging to a little raft that had floated free, others clutching at anything they could reach, at bits of wood, at each other, grabbing each other, pulling each other down, and screaming. The screaming was the most horrible of all. A warehouse worker made the same observation, claiming that he finally had to cover his ears because he couldn't take the trauma of the sound. The nurse asked a department store to send over 500 blankets and then asked several restaurants to send soup and coffee. She loaded the less injured into cars, asking the drivers to take the people home, and not one driver refused. Other people on the dock started throwing anything that would float into the water to give victims something to hold on to until they were rescued. Within 30 minutes, all the survivors had been rescued, and now the rescue effort turned to recovery. Priests stood by to give last rites, but that would be in vain because people were either alive or dead. Trucks were brought into the dock to help transport the dead because there was clearly not enough ambulances to handle the numbers. The 2nd Regiment Armory was converted to a morgue. Bodies were in rows of 85, and family members were invited inside in small groups so they could identify their loved ones. Some jerks made their way in as well to gawk or steal jewelry. People who walked through reported horrifying scenes of couples locked into death grips with each other, mothers clutching their babies, little children laying in rows together, and everyone dressed in their white Sunday best that was now muddied and stinking of the foul water of the river. Many of these families were Hungarian, Polish, or Czech, and soon these communities would be awash in black crepe as they mourned their dead. 52 gravediggers working 12-hour shifts could not keep up with the demand. The same trucks that hauled victims from the tragedy now hauled bodies to their funerals and to cemeteries. A Model T Ford hauled all the caskets of the Sindelar family, seven of them. The Red Cross was in town for days, bringing relief to victims. The coroner's office formed an inquiry immediately after securing all the bodies and awarded those who helped in rescue efforts with a star that read, Valued Services Rendered. These heroes also received a letter that read, I trust that you will accept this little token not for its intrinsic value or worth, but in memory of this terrible of all disasters, which should teach us the lesson of safety first 
and of extending to our fellow man kindness, courtesy, and consideration. And now a little break for a word about one of our sponsors. Kelly, I'm exhausted after a really long day. What about you? Always. (laughs) And Mort hasn't come in from the cemetery yet. What are we going to do when it comes to dinner? Guess just the same old, same old. Or we got our HelloFresh. We did. It just came in the mail. We don't have to even think about what we're going to cook tonight. And it's going to take us 30 minutes to get it done. Awesome. That makes me so happy. What a relief. HelloFresh cuts the stress out of meal planning and having to run to the grocery store to get stuff because everything you need comes with it, save for a little bit of pepper and salt. And the great thing is there's a lot of variety when it comes to HelloFresh. They have over 25 recipes to choose from each week. There's really something for everyone. And even if you have a specialty diet, they have recipes for that as well. I am so excited. Their food is so yummy. I can't wait for dinner now. All the produce and the food is so fresh. It's sourced from local farms and it just is delicious. Yeah, when it came out of the bag, it was just like, wow, it looks like something we just picked up at the grocery store five minutes ago. We love everything that we've gotten from them. And it's a great way to kind of explore a different variety of menus versus my usual same old, same old. It's not only fresh, but it gets you excited about cooking. You actually feel like you're a chef. And the great thing is it gives you step-by-step instructions so you can't screw it up. It's super easy. Go to HelloFresh.com forward slash bump 12 and use code bump 12 for 12 free meals, including free shipping. Again, that's HelloFresh.com forward slash bump 12 and use code bump 12 for 12 free meals, including free shipping. And now here's a message about the sponsor of this episode, Stereo. Kelly, this Stereo app has just been an amazing tool for us to be able to connect to our listeners. It sure has. It's a blast. And we've been talking about topics we don't usually talk about on the podcast that have to do with the paranormal, whether it's asking people what they think a ghost may be, their experiences with shadow people. We've talked about haunted bathrooms. (laughs) We have. (laughs) (laughs) And why is it the female restroom is always haunted? We just have so many great things to talk about over there. We encourage you guys to join us. This is a live social conversation. So you are actually part of the show. It's a way to not just listen to the podcast, but actually be a part of it. I love interacting with our listeners. We've been hosting these every Thursday and Saturday at 8 p.m. Eastern time. To get in on the fun, you just go to Stereo.com forward slash History Goes Bump. And then you can download the app from there. Make sure that you're following History Goes Bump. And Kelly is also over there under Kelly Rang. So you can follow her as well. You will get notifications when we go live. So go to Stereo.com forward slash History Goes Bump. Download the Stereo app and join us. How was it that the Eastland was repeatedly certified as safe by inspectors? Apparently, since the listing of the Eastland would only occur during loading and unloading and everything was fine once she was underway, they figured she was a safe ship. Who would think that a steamer would capsize when still at the wharf? Maybe nobody thought that would happen, but Chicagoans nicknamed the Eastland a hoodoo boat. They knew the boat was dangerous, but we imagine that the Western Electric employees were so excited for a day off and a picnic paid for by their company that they thought nothing of the fact that they were boarding a ship that many knew was not up to par. In the end, 844 died, more people than had died in the Chicago Fire of 1871, making this one of Chicago's deadliest catastrophes. 
It just amazes you that this ship would be used to transport passengers for all these years with them knowing that it had this issue enough that people in Chicago called it a hoodoo ship. Exactly. That it was cursed, basically, to them. Here are some of the victims. 21-year-old William Holtz had lived at home with his parents and siblings. He'd been planning on quitting his job so he could stay home and help care for his blind mother. Jethro Richard Beale Jr. and his wife Marguerite were dancing aboard the steamer when it capsized and they both survived that initial issue. They made their way to a porthole window and Jethro pushed Marguerite through, but he could not follow because he was too big to get through. Marguerite managed to get to the surface of the water and was pulled to safety. The couple had a two-year-old son who was not with them. Charles Bender was aboard the Eastland because he was going to visit his girlfriend Pauline Olock in Shallow Boy, Michigan. He died on the steamer and his parents wouldn't speak to his girlfriend because they blamed her for his death. Raymond and Ione Earhart would survive the tragedy when their uncle saved them, but their parents passed away. They were 10 and 6 at the time. Bessie Dvorak was an ace swimmer, but she was no match for people drowning around her who clawed her and took her below the surface. Her parents saw that Bessie's skin was shredded by fingernails when they found her at the morgue. Edward Gatons and his fiancée Anna Quinn died together on the ship. Harry Foster and his wife Rachel had invited Rachel's sister and brother-in-law to join them at the picnic. Fate stepped in and forced the brother-in-law to have to work. So the couple skipped the picnic and were not with Harry and Rachel when they died in the tragedy. Willie Gunther didn't work for Western Electric, but a friend invited him to the picnic. Willie almost missed the train that day as he was running late, but the conductor saw him running and stopped the train. It is believed that Willie was crushed by something large inside the ship as he did not drown. Marenka Hamola was three and a half years old when she was left clinging to her father in the Chicago River. Her mother and younger sister had already perished. She and her father would be rescued, but she would never get on a boat or swim in water for the rest of her life. She was one of the last known survivors of the tragedy when she died at 91 in February of 2003. All the members of 22 families perished in the tragedy. Can you imagine? That's just horrible. Now that victims were buried, the people of Chicago wanted answers. And because many wanted blood, Captain Peterson and much of his crew were taken into custody for their own protection. Chief Engineer Joseph Erickson was represented by Clarence Darrow when the trials finally got underway. He was the one that would take much of the blame because he was in charge of the ballast tanks. It was said that his mismanagement kept the ship from righting itself. But as we already pointed out, the ship was built and remodeled in a way that made it unsafe, and this was known. Erickson became a convenient scapegoat as he died during the trial. Because I don't think there was anything he could have done with those ballast tanks to make it so that ship wouldn't tip over. It was tipping over all the time before this. definitely not. The captain was not prosecuted. The owners of the steamer were not prosecuted either, and no inspectors received any blame. Wow. So it's like, well, the chief engineer was in charge of the ballast tanks. We're going to put the blame on him, and now that he's dead, hey, we're good to go. As would happen in our modern era, families filed civil lawsuits for wrongful death and injury. There were around 800 suits, and very few ended up paying out anything, and the amounts were minuscule. The Eastland was said to only be worth $46,000, and the salvage company had to be paid first. The Eastland was raised on August 14, 1915, and eventually sold to the Navy in 1917. The steamer became the USS Wilmot and served as a training vessel and gunboat from 1918 to 1945. She saw no combat and was scrapped out in 1946. This event was not as famous as other maritime tragedies, probably because no one famous or rich was aboard. But the Eastland disaster left a mark on Chicago's low- and middle-class immigrant working families. And perhaps that is why many spirits of the victims have not been at rest. There are ghost stories connected to the Eastland disaster, 
although many of the original sites have been altered. The 2nd Regiment Armory that served as the Central Morgue no longer stands. In 1990, the building became home to the Oprah Winfrey Show and Oprah's production company, Harpo Studios. Oprah's show went off the air in 2011, and she shut down the studios in 2015. Demolition on the building began in July of 2016, and the site is home to the McDonald's headquarters. You want fries with that? (laughs) And a shake. It will be interesting to hear if hauntings continue at this site. When this was Oprah's empire, there were many paranormal experiences. Visitors, staff, maintenance workers, and security have all had stories to share. Some claim to hear disembodied whispering, perhaps echoing the voices of the grieving family members who had passed through to identify victims. There were also disembodied sobs and screams and moaning noises. A staircase in the lobby often gave off the sound of disembodied footsteps. Doors in the building would open and close on their own. Music from another era was also heard playing throughout the building. An apparition that was nicknamed the Grey Lady was seen often by people. She wore a long, gray dress and often walked the corridors in a sullen way, and many times would disappear into a wall. If employees attempted to approach the woman, she would disappear as well. It is thought that she was a grieving family member and perhaps residual. Security cameras were said to have actually caught this apparition a couple of times, which I think is very cool. I'd love to see that footage. The Excalibur nightclub was also rumored to have been used as a temporary morgue. At that time, it had been home to the Chicago Historical Society. The television show Sightings filmed at Excalibur in 1997, and a psychic named Tim White reported on the episode that he had encountered the ghost of a little girl who said, Stop and watch me. Employees claimed to have seen the same little girl looking over the railing in the dome room. A blue-colored mist has been seen floating up the stairs as well. The Eastland itself would have claims of being haunted. When it was docked near the Halstead Street Bridge before the Navy acquired it, a caretaker named Captain M.L. Edwards lived on the ship, and he often complained of being awakened at night by the sounds of moaning and screaming. He also heard loud banging noises. The area along the river that was the scene of the disaster also has stories. People dining at Riverside cafes sometimes are shocked to watch a surge of water come out of the river and flood the riverwalk for no apparent reason almost as though an invisible ship has capsized, pushing water up over the walk. That would be something to see, I would think. Most definitely. You'd just be sitting there at your table, and then all of a sudden this big wave of water comes up over. Because <laughs> you know, things play over residually right. in paranormal all the time, but to not actually see a ship go over and that it pushes the water, pushes the water up out of the river. That's just amazing. People walking along the Riverwalk have claimed to see faces staring up at them under the water. No thank you. The sounds of splashing and disembodied screaming have also been heard. This is not only from the walk, but also from the Clark Street Bridge. Flailing apparitions have been seen in the water and caused people to call for emergency services, only to have those figures disappear minutes later. One man reportedly jumped into the river to save someone he thought was drowning. When he surfaced and looked around to locate the drowning person, he found he was the only one in the river. That's pretty convincing. If yeah, you're almost like, definitely. There's somebody down there drowning, and you jump in and pop back up, and you're like, where'd he go? And then everybody's looking at you like, what are you doing? Especially if they didn't <laughs> see the person. Right. Our listener, Kimmy Page, who suggested this topic, shared her own experience. I am also Eastern European and from the Chicago area, so the victims of that disaster would have been of similar backgrounds. I'm a spiritual person, and I always say something kind, or hello, or I'm sorry that happened to you, when I go to a cemetery or a site where something has happened. I've read a lot about the disaster and gone to the memorial in Bohemian National Cemetery many times. 
My paranormal experience, though, was when I was kayaking in the river, and my tour guide told us we were in the same spot, and I did my usual, I'm so sorry this happened, and a massive smack hit the bottom of my boat twice. There's wildlife in the area, but the rapid succession of the smacks made me think otherwise. I felt very calm during it, but it's really meaningful to me. That's interesting, because I'm trying to think of what kind of wildlife would be in the river there that would smack on the bottom of a boat. Now, here I'd be a little bit worried, because it could be a gator. (laughs) (laughs) I would just think it's a manatee. (laughs) Or that, too. So, I don't know. what I mean, what could smack the bottom of a boat twice in succession? Yeah, I think she was having an experience. That's like, bam, bam. Especially but, right after she said something in regards to the tragedy. Right. Could have been the, the river otters that I saw this morning. <laughs> Maybe. But I thought that was very cool. Thanks for suggesting this and sharing your experience there, Kimmy. Many families were looking forward to a fun day of relaxing and picnicking in July of 1915. How could they have known that many of them would never make it home that evening? Are the spirits of the victims of the Eastland disaster still haunting parts of Chicago? That, that is, is for you to, to decide. decide. Well, I've been to Chicago many times, but I don't know exactly where this location would be. And I don't remember going to where there was a memorial. So I have to check that out if I'm ever in that city again. And I definitely would love to visit Bohemian National Cemetery sometime. Absolutely. They have some great cemeteries in Chicago for sure. I want to encourage you guys to check out our website at historyghostbump.com. And if you want to send us some feedback, you can do that at historyghostbump at gmail.com. We just want to send out some well wishes to Valentina. She had her surgery and is doing well, and we hope she has a complete and full recovery soon. Most definitely. We heard from one of our listeners who is a doctor in regards to Fox Hollow Farm, and we were talking about the fact that Herb told his wife that the skeleton that was found in their backyard was his father's because he had been an anesthesiologist. She said, I actually was given a real skeleton by a family who weirdly had it in their possession. I had it in my house for a bit and then donated it to a hospital. He used it for the radiological technology program. It was in a wooden chest. So at least (laughs) it wasn't just like hanging on a rod or something like that. (laughs) But I told you, it's not as uncommon as you would think. No, but she did what I suggested Herb should have done is donate it back to a hospital or something then. I mean, who takes a skeleton and just buries it in their backyard? (laughs) Right. And then we talked about how we put up the bonus episode about shadow people. We got an email from a woman named Ness, and she's actually going to share her own experience with you guys here with a shadow person. So I've been dealing with a shadow man, shadow figure, whatever it's called. Um, It all started six years ago. My son, he was two, and we moved above my mom, and he started playing with an imaginary friend named Shelly then Shelly turned mean okay and then my brother would come over and have his girlfriend over and his girlfriend would get scared because she's seen this dark well I'm getting chills sorry seen this dark figure behind the bedroom door and my brother would see it too I kept my head down okay because I'm I used to be so scared so Um, Here we are six years later, and I'm mainly here alone, and this thing messes with me on the daily. Um, I see it all the time. I see it during the day, like full-blown. I see the hat man, too. 
It likes to come into the bathroom with me when I'm taking a bath and I can physically, I have like a white shower curtain and I can see him walk by. So finally I like got the balls, I'll excuse my French, to say, you know what, you're not welcome here, get the hell out, plus more, which I'm not going to say. And it would mess with my children as well. So that's when I really would start getting angry at it. But just recently I seen it. Him, whatever it is. Like I turned around and it was just standing there in my kid's room. And it was like noon. Um, I have pictures. I wake up and I have pictures with hand marks around my neck. Like it's been choking me. I'll wake up with my, like, pants pulled down, or not pants, but, you know, like, pajamas, and I've tried to have people come over here and bless the house and whatever psychic says it's attached to me, so maybe I'm getting the wrong idea. Maybe it's something different that wants to help me, but with my pants pulled down, like, I don't know, but there's two of them, so... There's more, and I have pictures if you'd like to see them, but, yeah, I see it during the day. Um, it gets me when I'm really emotional, too. Thank you. That is creepy as heck. It sure is. We emailed her back some suggestions that she could do for protection and to do some cleansing in her house. Uh, if you guys have any suggestions for Ness as well, we'd love to hear them. I can email those back to her and just hope to make her a little bit more comfortable. I told her if I'm in a bathtub, I sure the heck don't want a ghost or spirit or shadow person showing up. Yeah, definitely not. Very, very uncomfortable. Also want to remind you guys, we have a live show in St. Augustine on September 18th. We're about a third sold out. So if you haven't gotten your tickets, you'll want to get on top of that. Also, we have set up a ghost hunt, a private one at the St. Augustine Lighthouse for the evening before. That's Friday September 17th from 11 p.m. to 1 a.m. There are only 30 spots available, so that's another one you need to jump on. You can get more information at historyghostbump.com. There is a tab there that says Ghost Hunt at the Lighthouse. Just click on that, and that will have more information where you can get signed up for that. Or over on Facebook, we have it up in the Spooktacular Crew. If you're in the Hillbilly Horror Group, we've got it over there as well. I want to thank you guys for tuning in to this episode. I've been your host, Diane. And this has been Kelly. You take care now. Bye-bye. This episode isn't brought to you by our executive producers. Dispatches from the Grave Digger. We want to welcome into the cemetery, Brett Rapp. We're going to be burying you under a marble tombstone. Thank you so much for supporting HGB. This episode has also been brought to you by HelloFresh. And this episode has also been brought to you by Stereo. Don't forget to join us on Thursdays and Saturdays, 8 p.m. Eastern Time for our stereo app live conversations that we've been having over there. And here's a little sampling of what you're missing if you haven't been there. We're talking haunted bathrooms. I know I've been in a few bathrooms that are a bit questionable that you could almost say were haunted. Okay, you can haunt my kitchen, my living room, my bedroom, but I draw the line at the bathroom. A man has got to have at least some place to call his own. It's a little bit off topic, but do you think that the reason there's a bunch of women in white is because any other color takes more energy to manifest?
It's real easy to join us. Just go to Stereo.com forward slash History Goes Bump. Download the app. Follow us. And then you can be a part of the show with us. And We really want you to talk to us. Please come <laughs> and talk to us. It's so much fun. So remember, go to Stereo.com forward slash History Goes Bump. Download the Stereo app and follow us. We'll see you there. You can find History Goes Bump on Spotify, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, Pandora, Google Play, and anywhere you can listen to podcasts. And a man named Pink Con- Pink? You act like if his name was Pink, that can't be possibly correct. <laughs> there could be a guy named Pink. <laughs> I guess so. Major parts of St. Peter's Basilica were designed by Mac- Michelangelo. Michelangelo. I'm just getting back into my little accent, even though I've never had one. <laughs> Major parts of St. Peter's Basilica were designed by Mac... Golly! <laughs> Now it's your turn. I can't say his <laughs> name all of a sudden. And that was Kelly pretending like she was picking her nose to throw me off yet again. You guys have no idea the battle I have to not lose it when I'm doing the intro. I'm just that funny. Not. <laughs> well, those of you who listen to the bloopers actually know how much I struggle. <laughs> Marenka Homola with Marenka when a throat is making a noise, it's usually a burp. No, mine goes. <laughs> I know mine does too. Makes weird noises. <laughs> the television shows. <laughs> <This> is... 